Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and in today's show, we're talking about Vienna. The word itself brings to mind images of grand architecture, the sounds of classical music, and the smell of coffee and Sasha Torta. In this interview with Katerina Bourdais, we explore the Gothic and Baroque churches, the museums and the iconic coffee shops, as well as the darker places to visit, the asylum, the catacombs and the echoes of psychiatry and fascism. And we reflect on how both of our cultures now are often a reflection on the loss of empire. We talk about the Viennese character, the sense of humour and how they differ from Germans even though they speak the same language. It's also fascinating to consider how central Vienna was to culture in the early 20th century. I found a quote from Eric Weiner, or Wiener, who said, If you had walked into a coffee shop in 1903 Vienna, you might find the artist Gustav Klimt, Sigmund Freud, Leon Trotsky, and possibly Adolf Hitler, who lived in Vienna at the time. The city is dense with history and culture, and we can only brush the surface today. But I hope you enjoy the interview with Katerina. Katerina Bourdais is an Austrian fantasy and non-fiction author, as well as a lawyer, podcaster and photographer. Welcome, Katerina. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you for inviting oh, me. Oh, no, I am so thrilled to talk about Vienna because we are, as we record this, we're still in lockdown here in the UK and we're still in pandemic times. And I actually have a guidebook here on my desk, a weekend in Vienna. So this is like virtual Aww. travel. <laughs> Yeah, it's really tough and at the same time helpful to listen to your travel podcast because, oh, I want to go there. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, so it's, this is, it's, it's hard, yeah. It is, but it's definitely, it's fantasy travel at the moment. Now, let's get into it because you have a series called Wiener Blut, translated as Viennese Blood. And tell us a bit about your personal history with Vienna and what the city means to you and why you write about it. Yeah, so it all started off, I grew up in the Austrian countryside about two hours away from Vienna. So I came to Vienna to study law. And so I didn't really hang out when I was at uni and stuff like that, but I didn't go around the touristy place as much. And I've been part of the like writing podcasting community for many years. And I've been listening to audio books for ages. And I was like, I, I want to write a book too. I want to write a book too. And then I met my husband, who's a Scotsman. And he came over, obviously, to visit. And then we went around all the cafes and I started showing him the things in Vienna that the more touristy stuff. And then mm. the book idea started when we were sitting in the Café Landmann right across the city hall. And on the back of the menu, there was the story about how the goats in old, so now I want to say Mesopotamia, discovered coffee in the first place. And I was like, oh, that's a funny story. And I like goats and that's... Hilarious. And then I started researching a little bit the legends around coffee. And then it started from there. So it started from the old legends that we have in Vienna 
around coffee and because I'm a quite a coffee junkie, researching the different types of coffee there are, why they're named the way they are. So that's why also in the first book, every chapter has the title of a different speciality coffee. So yeah, that's how the idea came to be. And it just took off them from there. Yeah. And well, just tell us uh, what parts of Vienna feature in the other books as well. What, what aspects have you written about? I've mostly written about really the cafe culture. I've done a little bit of traveling around Austria. And in the um, second book, we also go to Budapest because back in the old days, the Austrian and Hungarian empire was just such a thing. And a lot of the Austrian coffee culture is very much reflected in Budapest as well. So there's just this very strong link between those two cities. And I thought the legends spread that wide because they were all around these kind of medieval times. But as far as Vienna is concerned, I tried to stick very close to the city center where you could really just walk along and just have a read and just get a feeling of the place. There is, in the third book, we go up the Kallenberg, which is really the only I want to say mountain in Vienna, which is, I've been really growing up in the mountains. So that's like more of a speed bump, but, and you have fantastic views over the city. So I try to every once in a while drop in places, but I wanted to, to be less than a guidebook, more a story of someone who's actually living there and just hangs out, goes about their day, and you just get a more of a feel of the city. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into some of the places to visit. So I was reading about the St. Charles Church, or the Karlskirche, was built to give thanks for the passing of a plague epidemic, which just seems so appropriate. And it is, I think, tell us about the St. Charles Church, because I think it is one of the, the biggest uh, locations, right? Yes, yes. It's um, a massive location. It's also above the biggest um, underground. That's why it's such a central, it's on the south bit of the city centre. And the city centre isn't really big. But the thing is, there's a big square in front of it. It's one of my favourite Christmas markets as well. But the thing about uh, Viennese and the plague, it has just such a deep history. And there's a lot of our culture that revolves around old legends and stuff. And with the when the big plague hit, there were even more legends around that. So that was just one of those situations where it was just stuck with the people, I think. And there's just a lot of plague monuments. There's the church and on the Graben, there's a big monument as well. So people were really like, okay, we're so glad that's over. So I I don't expect another church to be built after this is over, but (laughs) I think it would be nice to be honest. Yeah. So what, but what is, what is special about the St. Charles Church? What are some of the interesting things about it? I think it's, it's very nice to look at. It's a bit more um, modern. So it's very Baroque. A lot of Vienna is more like Roman, Gothic, darker. So it makes a nice difference because it's light and it's just really pretty to look at. But yes, it's also a very massive church to go in. I'm not sure if you'd want to go to mass there. It's also supposed to be, let's say, a bit more of a conservative on the conservative end of the scale. That's why I've never really hung out there for the mass. But it's just one of those things you just sit in front of, watch, especially at night. It's just a stunning place to to be. And if there is no religious bits going on, then it's, yeah, it's really nice to look at. And I, I like the that it's just so so much lighter than the rest of the city centre. I really like Gothic cathedrals, but I think for me that when you say Baroque, it brings to mind the sort of white and then the gold, like a lot of gold, gold bling. (laughs) White and gold and the turquoise roofs. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. So, and, and I, yeah, I'm, I love Gothic churches, but that's why I think you have so much Gothic. Even the town hall is a new Gothic. That's why I think it's really nice to have the difference so between the imperial Gothic, just massive buildings, to have these things that are a bit of a juxtaposition. So what about any of the other interesting or beautiful religious buildings or architecture that people might like to? The St. Stephen's Cathedral, which is bang on in the city centre, is obviously the the biggest Gothic cathedral, and it's just a really great place to go to because on the one hand, you can go up the spire and have a great look over the city. And it has catacombs, which is more a thing for you. Yes, the, <laughs> there are a lot of catacombs in Vienna as well, but it's just a good starting point to, to start off your trip through the city. And then what I always enjoy going to, and it's a bit more, even more modern than that, there's the Otto Wagner Church. So that's more of a modern turn of century, 19th century, not 20th. Church, which is a bit on the outskirts of the city, but it's on a hill above an old mental asylum. And it's just a great place to go for walks and hang out because it still has this, it's empty, but it's just, you still have the the feeling of the church. And it's just really, especially if you go like on a bit of a, darker moodier day it's it's a really great place to go and then when you're up there again the views over the city are just stunning actually you mentioned that asylum i was reading that there is an anatomy museum i don't think it's at, is it at that asylum do you know it's at a different it's on a different asylum we've got a lot of shrinky things going on since freud <laughs> lot of shrinky things oh that that's awesome so are, are there a lot of psychology sort of places to visit yes yes there's obviously there's the freud museum itself and then there's the as you mentioned the museum on the spiegelgrund which was a mental institute for children so you see the things like how they were treated <laughs> in the further sense so the all the from electroshocks to brain surgery amputations etc etc but like for things that wouldn't even be considered mental illnesses these days just teen kids being kids and stuff so that's it's really creepy and yes and that's also in an old mental institute <laughs> museum yeah i think that the history of psychiatry really is a very dark and a scary place but uh, there are also some other sort of darker places aren't there around vienna yes but that i think that has a lot to do with the viennese mindset viennese people are known for complaining a lot and having a very dark morbid sense of humor maybe that's why being married to scotsman isn't that weird for me but (laughs) so it's really the, for example, the central cemetery, the Zentralfriedhof, is a place where you just hang out. It's basically a park. So you go there for picnics and stuff. And there are tons of famous people um, buried there from all the Strausses to Brahms and Beethoven and Falco, obviously. So that's just the thing. And the, and the Zentralfriedhof is huge and it spans, I think, three tram stops or four or something like that. So it's really massive. And yeah, but people just go there to to hang out and have picnics. When first when I moved to Vienna, it was weird for me to okay, you're having picnic on a grave, right? But it's just the thing they do. But there are just so many things. It's also in the jokes and the whole the Viennese humor. There's a thing like when 
someone fancies themselves up like, oh yeah, you're going to be a pretty corpse. Okay, right. (laughs) These are things that are just completely normal for Viennese people. And since I've been living here longer than elsewhere, it's just, you just get used to it. But we've got things like, we've got a torture museum. We've got three different catacombs. One obviously below St. Stephen's Cathedral, but the one that I prefer most is the Kapuzinergruft, which is the crypt where all the emperors are buried. So it's a bit less spooky, but you have still have the all, all our old emperors buried there. So that's also very cool. But yes, it's just one of those things. And I think when you're looking at Vienna, you just end up with just so many weird and quirky things. And I think going around and reading the legends that go around, because then you have like street names and you're like, oh, okay, there's, for example, this one corner at St. Stephen's Cathedral where the wind never blows because the devil lost the wager. And they're just these things where, okay. And then you have a wall where half a kind of goblin figure sticks out because that's something, an old legend around the Turkish siege. So these are things that are just ingrained in the city's day-to-day life that I just find it would be much more fun to have a guide around the legends rather than an actual just regular guidebook. And that's also why I got just got stuck with the legends so much. Some obviously I adapted to my needs, but so many was just like, oh, that's great. I didn't know that. And the more I read about it, the more I got really drawn into that whole mysterious, I don't know, aura, I guess. Yeah. And it's interesting because I do, I said, obviously, I have a guidebook here, one of the Lonely Planet or something. And I, I tend to start with those, but for the physical landscape of the city, where to stay and which bits to go to. But then, as you say, I tend to then research stuff that is never in the guidebook. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> because they don't, you know, a lot, obviously, we're a similar type of person and we enjoy this kind of thing and we write the darker books, whereas a lot of people aren't necessarily going to visit a cemetery uh, or a catacomb, but I certainly will be. <laughs> yeah, I think what's what's very practical about Vienna is that the, the city centre, the first district is just a little round district. It's surrounded by the ring road and within that and around the ring road, you can just hit the most important things so you can just wander around you're like oh cool what's that oh that's the imperial palace all right let's walk on (laughs) so it's like you just stumble from one thing into another and you don't need to be as okay I need to walk there and then I need to walk there so you don't need to be as uptight because Vienna isn't that big really and then you go a bit to the outer districts but I think that's what's very practical about it you don't need to plan it very tightly because you can just walk a lot and I'm just a very walky person when I'm in a city so I try to do everything by foot as possible. Yeah me too I really like to walk around cities and it's good to hear that it's not that big physically but it is pretty dense in terms of the cultural and historical places to visit. I don't think I I could get through everything in a weekend that's for sure but I did want to mention the Klimps, the Kiss which is one of the most famous paintings in the world is in the Belvedere Palace. Yes. Is that the palace you mentioned? No, no we've got like tons. Um, tons of so palaces. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the Imperial Palace, the Hofburg. This is really where the emperor stayed in the city centre. And the Belvedere was just, well, it's a little bit on the outside of the first district, but still within comfortable walking distance. And there are actually two Belvederes. There's one a bit further up the hill and a bit further down the hill. And the 
balcony of the Belvedere was actually where our declaration of neutrality was signed when the Second World War was over. And so that's always an, an important place for us to go to and to visit. And yes, but the Belvedere, it's funny because it took me such a long time to get to all these museums. And what I actually did was once a year, there's this long night of museums. And they do it in a lot of city these days, cities these days. But I really enjoyed that, like getting one ticket, it's mobbed. But <laughs> you, you also get to go to these museums where you wouldn't usually go to you go to the little things to the special exhibitions etc so the for me it was one of those things I always wanted to see it but he's a bit too glitzy for me yes again Uh, lots of gold (laughs) yes yes so it's like one of those okay I've seen it but what I if you're staying with the wacky colorful things there's Friedensreich Hundertwasser he's let's say he was inspired a lot by Gaudi so there is his Kunsthaus, which is a museum, and there's a restaurant in it, and there are no straight floors. It's all wobbly, so don't go there drunk. Or you might feel like you are, but they also have a lot of special exhibitions as well. So that's that's always a fun place to go to. And the Albertina is my favorite museum because it has a big range. There's always a modern exhibition, but the main bit is, let's say, impressionist to modern and a huge collection of Impressionist paintings. So I always love to go there and try to go there at least once a year. Then, yeah, I think the great things about the long night is that you really have this big list and then there's shuttle buses taking you to and fro. And I, I always like that. And then I always w- visit the Imperial Palace, the Hofburg. It has one of the most magnificent libraries. It's just one of those things, the the big hall in the library, the way you imagine it when you watch too much Beauty and the Beast as a wee girl. So yes, those those are the things you really have to do. Then a bit outside of the city, Schönbrunn Palace is just one of the famous ones. It's a bit less dark as well because it's bright yellow, actually. You always find a ton of tourists there, obviously. I've actually never been inside, but the park is beautiful to just walk around in. And there's a zoo next door, and it's just a fantastic zoo to just have a out and it's really it's already a couple of hundred years old as well the zoo so it's really nice to walk around and see the animals in the kind of like fancy old buildings so yes there's plenty of things to do but it really took me to have someone else to show it all to go to those places for the first time myself even though I was already living there for I don't know, five, six years. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And I almost feel that now in this time of pandemic, we can't even go very far from our house, let alone go, you know, to the next town or some of the places that you just say, oh, I'll do that one day. And then suddenly you're not allowed to go anywhere. And all these galleries and museums, they're all shut and nobody's going, or even to churches. We're not allowed to go into churches here. Or So it's so interesting. We take these things for granted and then we move you might move city or you might we used to live in New Zealand and now I'm like oh there's that one thing I didn't do in New Zealand that I really need to do absolutely and we now live about half an hour outside the city and I haven't been in since November because the, the problem is because everything is shut so you can't even grab something to eat because you'd have to pre book it and to just we've been in in November it was really creepy because it was on a Sunday here everything is shot apart from a couple of touristy shops and restaurants but even then there are tons of people around so now to have it like I don't know maybe Sunday 5 a.m whatever it was just so empty and so weird and 
yeah, if you if you can't go in anywhere and it's cold, you can't go anywhere and sit down and have a coffee, which is really what Vienna is about. You can't just spend a day in the city without having coffees and cakes really which is really important you did mention there that on a Sunday everything shut usually yes. it's a Monday museums and things are shut so is that well, a really important thing Catholic thing <laughs> no but as in is it is that just the churches are shut or all of the museums and everything too no everything is shut everything uh, all the shops are shut all the it's just restaurants that are open and just a few you might you might be able to go to the zoo and stuff but yeah it's Sunday is day of rest, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. Austria is, is still, I think, maybe not anymore, but let's say historically heavily Catholic. So every once in a while, some trade unions try to get the Sunday closing thing lifted, but it really never works. How, that's really interesting. And that's certainly something important to know if people are going to have a long weekend in Vienna, which was what I was planning. So I certainly have to make that part of the plans. But you have mentioned coffee and cake. And of course, eating and drinking is so important. What are some of your and the other thing is there are often these kind of touristy cafes that they take people to. And those are not the ones necessarily to go to. So do you have any sort of thoughts on the eating and drinking and what coffee and what cake? Yeah, so I already had to laugh because this Christmas, one of the Hallmark Christmas movies was uh, Christmas in Vienna. So I was like, okay, I have to watch this. And I was like, oh, he's eating. And my husband looked at me like, yes, that's what you do. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. But the thing is, I mentioned the, the Café Landmann, and that's more or less one of the more touristy places because it's in the city center and it's one of the more fancy ones. But I don't think that's really a big problem. If you are in Schumbrunn, etc., obviously you have the things where, yeah, okay, it's touristy, but it's just the whole deal to have the old cafe, the grumpy waiters who barely talk to you. And something that's also very normal for a Viennese coffee culture is to go there in the morning, sit there with a cafe all day, and then not be bothered and read 50 newspapers, for example. And there's been a, all the old writers and Freud, etc. They've been doing that. And so, yes, some of my favorite ones of the, let's say, fancier ones, there's the Café Schwarzenberg, also very fancy, and the Café Central. And what's very normal for cafes in Vienna is that you have a huge selection of cakes. So when you came in, you have this glass um, board where you just, pick whatever you fancy. And obviously the Sacha cake, classical chocolate cake is one of the most famous ones. Then also always nice is an Apfelstrudel. So it's apple in fila pastry. Then what else can you do? Then you can get a lot of cakes that are obviously a bit more imperial. There's an Estahazi cake, which is layers of nuts and cream. Everything, they always come up with new stuff as well. So I think the best thing really to do is have a look at what's there and the selection of the day, basically. And no matter which cafe you go in, you will get that. And then there are actually two. One is a roast and the other one is a cafe called Altwin, which I named the cafe in my books after. So the Eidwin Cafe is just very smoky. You're not allowed to smoke in cafes anymore. Yeah. But I think it'll take another couple of decades to get the smoke out of those walls. So it's one of those a bit darker kind of places, but really cozy at the same time. Then at the Roast, that's my local coffee dealer. 
And there's also the Café Diglas, which is more of a, you don't have that much of a selection of cakes, but the ones that are there are fantastic. And it's a bit more off off the beaten track as far as you can get in the city center. Yeah, but these are the things you just, I think when you wander around the city, you always end up either someone that just looks nice. And I don't think I've had many bad experiences in cafes, to be quite honest. Like I said, apart from rude waiters, but that's just part of the... Yeah, that's just normal. Yeah, yeah so that's um so definitely we should set aside some uh time for coffee and cake. And then I think the other thing you mean you mentioned some of the famous musicians who were buried in the graveyard. Vienna is famous for concerts as well, right? And classical music in in particular. Yes, and we've got I mean a lot of opera houses and you can go to see operettas as well. And the cool thing about the opera house is there are just a lot of like last minute cheap tickets if you want to stand, so if you don't want to uh, pay you can pay quite a few hundred euros for an opera ticket especially for some of the big ones but if you research a bit and then there I think there's also the Forks Opera so there are more places to play operas and operettas etc and if you have a look and f- for example go there in the evening you might get a last minute cheap ticket that's left over etc the only thing is be careful there are always people dressed up I think it's supposed to be Mozart hanging around in the first district and pounce on everything that looks like a tourist so yeah I'd be wary of those but it's yes I think from a cultural standpoint and there's a lot of musicals as well you can always get to hear or see something and look nice concert scene little venues in the city Yes, you you won't get bored, let's put it that way. Yeah, and I do think I'm not massively into classical music, but I do find that listening to a recital in an incredible venue, whether it's a church, often they have music in churches and and this type of thing and, and big concert halls. It's such a thing to do, even if that's not normally something you, you do. I've also seen some operas, but I think there are so many cool venues. There's once a year in front of Schönbrunn Palace, there's an open air concert classical concert that's always cool then a bit outside of uh, Vienna there's an opera venue in an old quarry which is just Mm. for the location alone it's just fantastic so there are things if you drive around a bit and if you say okay I'm there or if you're flexible with your time and if you said if you want to do a long weekend you might think about using Sunday for travel or eat or relax or do something but there's not going to be much open on a Sunday so yes you have to include some working days as well let's put it that way yeah okay so you did mention the Christmas markets briefly and you've got a non-fiction book about Christmas markets so tell us a bit about like why are they so special and once they are up and running again what what is a way to navigate them yeah that was actually kind of a one of those things, I always enjoyed going to the Christmas markets and I've got a lot of friends online in the US, etc. And I posted pictures and people like, oh my God, that looks so great. Can you post more? So I ended up starting writing blog posts about it. And then and asked my husband for his input because he was always about, oh my God, I want to go to a Christmas market. A bit of a, bit of a grinchy mood. And said, okay, so if you like it, then it's worth recommending. And out of those blog posts, then ended up uh, a Christmas market guide that then spread out beyond Vienna. Now is actually two. It's split up into Vienna, the city, and everything else in Austria. So I think what makes it so special is the whole, obviously the whole city is a lit. And Vienna is still, especially the city centre, still a very old 
city. So it doesn't doesn't look much different than a couple of hundred years ago. Maybe there are fewer cars, yes, because there's more pedestrian area, but the houses very much look the same. That with the lights and yes, there are Christmas markets which are where are the tack where you get the tacky stuff, but there are fewer and fewer. So most of the Christmas markets there, you get fantastic craft things. You've got local artists where you can get just get great presents, things for yourself. There's always great food at Christmas markets, obviously. So yeah, you can spend a day just eating your way through the Christmas markets, really, if you're hungry or not. So yeah, I've already mentioned the one in front of St. Charles Cathedral. I love that because it's just a basically arts and crafts market. Then we've got a military history museum, which I should have mentioned with a bit more darker places because obviously Austrian military history is not a cheerful thing to talk about, but the it has a medieval Christmas market in front of it. And, and that's also really great. But Really, I mean, Schönbrunn Palace. I mean, there's one in front of all the big, the big places. But again, you can just wander around the first district and do ten Christmas markets in a day, and that all within walking distance. And that's really nice. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of markets. So, is that when does it run? Because it's for Christmas. What sort of dates does it run? Well, they usually start at the end of November. Some open mid-November, but there are very few. So, let's say. The last week of November, you're quite safe. There are some Christmas markets in castles outside the city, which are only on on weekends. But yeah, I think starting from the last week of November, you should be you should be good. Fantastic. And then I, I wanted to ask, because I think uh, many people who might not be European particularly, uh, but Austrians speak German, the German language, but they're not German people. <laughs> so what are the differences between Austrians and Germans, do you think? I think it's a little bit where we in German, when we say English, we often mean all Brits and my husband jumps a couple meters. I think it's just even though we're much close together as far as location is concerned, can be just as different as, as Brits and Americans really. And there was an, an Austrian writer who once said there's nothing that unite that separates us more than our common language. An Austrian will always be able to tell if you're a German. <laughs> so this is just where there are a lot of Brits who play Americans, actors, stuff like that. That barely works between German and Austrian. And a lot of Germans simply don't understand us. So it's really, if you're from London and you go somewhere to rural Scotland and you don't know what they're talking about, and that's what they feel like. And it's also about the same when people learn German. Yes, people in Austria will understand you, but that does not necessarily go both ways. So yes, we've got a very strong accent. And I think it's a bit of a, I would say Germans are a bit more proper, a bit more strict. You know, the way people think about German to be very rule-driven and precise and stuff like that. Austrians, not so much. <laughs> so it's more of a come up with the French word laissez-faire attitude. It comes with all the, ah, oh, yeah, it'll be okay, whatever, we all die. <laughs> so it's a bit more, yeah, it's, I think it's a bit more relaxed attitude. So that's why there are often cultural clashes. So yes, we do get very grumpy if people mix us up with Germans. And and at the same time, we often have the, oh, you're not German, that's good, which I still think is one of the biggest and best marketing strategy in history to make people believe Hitler was German. So yes, that, that, that worked well for us. 
I wasn't going to mention Hitler, but since you did. <laughs> it's, it's, it comes with the morbid thing. You're right. You're absolutely right. And maybe we've just surprised some people listening because it is incredible how... That was a joke. Yeah. It's really German. Never mind. <laughs> But it is it, that is fascinating because I do that there are some very important cultural things in Germany around the Nazis and not not allowing things and yeah, it's the same here. It's, um, yes, okay, it's so it's the, the it is here. the same in that way, is it? Yes, yes. Being a Nazi or the the Holocaust lie, as we call it. So if you say the Holocaust never happened, that would be a criminal offence. Also, all the insignia, etc., etc. So that is, yeah, so a lot of things that you see, let's say, on the telly and other countries would be very grave criminal offences here. But yes, we obviously we grew up with the stories of our grandparents, but it's part of our history. Yeah, Colonialism is part of yours and slavery is part of American's history. You just have to live with it and learn from it. And there are still there are a lot of old concentration camps that you can visit. There's none in Vienna, so I didn't get on my dark places to visit in Vienna. But obviously Auschwitz is, I think it's an hour and a half away. And you can still visit that. And it's not a nice place to go to. It really isn't. But yeah, it's just, and I, and I think... That's part of the things we blame each other for, but the Germans and Austrians. So yeah, that's, but we're actually happy that the whole world thinks that Hitler was German. On the other hand, we do insist that Mozart was Austrian, of course. (laughs) There we Uh, go. But it is, I think it's also interesting because of course, Vienna, I feel like the British Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, part of our culture is built on losing a big empire and I think that shows in in your in the architecture in perhaps some of the as you say the sort of almost the okay such is life we have to own our history own up to it but equally this is our culture now and you can still be proud of who you are now and acknowledge the darkness that has happened but I do think probably it would be the same in in London it's like these big monuments to the whole world that Queen Victoria rules but not anymore the same with the Austro-Hungarians right? Yeah I think I think there's still there's this you grow up with and you learn Austrian history from a time where Austria spanned from Spain to deep into Russia, basically. And that was not just Austrian Hungary before that, even. And there's still, I used to be this great country, like this tiny nation in the middle of Europe. But I think what has stuck most in the Austrian psyche was after the First World War, when monarchy was abolished, all the inherited titles were abolished as well. So all the families who could call them lords and ladies and whatever else, they can still do so in Germany, but not in Austria. And I think that turned us into a country who's absolutely crazy about titles, academic titles, job titles, Mrs. Doctor, whatever nots, and you get the weirdest titles. As I think it's on, I think it's on the website actually of the Viennese Opera when you book a ticket. And you can select, you can scroll like half an hour through all the (laughs) real or made up titles people can have. So yeah, that's how we still grieve our monarchy. We are just really crazy about titles. so interesting uh so we are we're almost out of time now because this is the books and travel show apart from your own books what are a few books about vienna or set in vienna that you would recommend 
Yeah. I started with a love story because it's really great. Daniel Glatow's Love Virtually and try to look up which of those books have been translated into English. And he's got a follow up. It's called Every Seventh Wave. It's a really sweet love story about this couple who met online. Then another one which has been a major bestseller here, Mark Ellsberg's Blackout. His Blackout is exactly what it's what it's saying. It's about this major blackout that spreads throughout Europe, and you have the point of view from different characters in Austria and Germany, etc., who deal with it. And it's really it's very intense thriller. Then there is a massive Austrian crime novel scene. So if you're in Vienna and go into a bookshop, you'll have a um, big section of Austrian crime novelists. And I looked up Wolf Haas. He's one of the darker, more cynical ones. And they've actually been translated into English as well. So that's that's very cool. And you get very deep into the Viennese psyche and you have a lot of the crimes set in very historical monuments. Like we have these old fortified towers from the Second World War that are Sometimes empty, sometimes not. And so that, that's those are really great if you want to go into the grumpier side of Vienna. And the last one I would recommend is The Piano Teacher because it's just a bit more different, I think a bit more literary, I would say. Oh, no, those are great. So where can people find you and your books and your podcasts online? Yeah, so um, the main hub is Bruderach AT, which is actually Scots Gaelic for dreamer or visionary. So that's spelled B-R-U-A-D-A-R-A-C-H dot A-T for Austria. Then I've got the domain Avina Blut, W-I-E-N-E-R dash B-L-U-T dot com. So for the whole Wiener Blut novels. And we used to have a short story podcast, Every Photo Tells, but you still can get all the old episodes there. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Katerina. That was great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.